Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Think for a moment back over your life to that most embarrassing moment or the time that you were most ashamed of yourself. And they may have been the same incident. So ashamed that if you could, you would have crawled under a rock to just get away from the situation. You could just feel your blood rushing up to your face, getting flushed, embarrassed. Maybe you didn't measure up. Somebody's expectations. Maybe you were ashamed of what you did or what you said. I had written in my notes a situation that caused me shame some 40 years ago. I was going to share it with you, but I don't even like to talk about it now. (laughs) It's embarrassing. Well, you know, there's a day coming. When every one of us who is a Christian, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and we're going to have to give an account for how we've lived as Christians. Not for our sins, but for our Christian service. We're going to have to give an account for how we have been as a Christian workman. Now, some of us are going to be ashamed on that day. Because it will be shown that we have been unapproved workmen. And the shame that you may have experienced in the past because of something in your life is minute compared to the shame that you will experience as you stand before Christ and all the saints and find out that you are an unapproved workman. The question that is before us today is, what kind of workman are you? We're over in 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Take your Bibles and turn with me. You remember that this chapter deals in particular with the charge to suffer for the Word. Paul's writing from a prison cell. His death is imminent. He's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, giving instructions for church leadership. He gives four charges in this small letter. He says, first, that we're to guard the gospel. Secondly, we must suffer for the gospel. Thirdly, we are to continue in the gospel. And then fourthly, we are to proclaim the gospel. This chapter 2 deals with disciple making and suffering for the gospel as a faithful disciple maker. He's already used the word picture of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. We saw a couple of weeks ago the principle of no pain, no gain is in this chapter. He uses three more metaphors in the rest of this chapter to describe the Christian life. A workman, a vessel, and a servant. Today we're going to look at the workman. And it's about this workman we see three things. First of all, the job of the workman is to handle the Word of God. Whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, or whether it's disciple-making. And as we saw the other week, all of us are to be disciple-makers. 
And so all of us who are Christians are Christian workmen. Not all of us are called to preach. Not all of us may be called to teach. But all of us are called to make disciples. And so what is said today applies to all. Secondly, there are two kinds of workmen. There is the approved workman who is unashamed. And there is the unapproved workman who is ashamed. And then thirdly, the difference between these two workmen is how they handle the Word of God. That's the difference. How they handle the Word of truth. First of all, we're going to look at the characteristics of the approved workman. And then we shall look at the characteristics of the unapproved workman. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Paul writes, Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the heroes. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. First, the characteristics of the approved workman, the good workman. First of all, he is diligent. In verse 15, it says, be diligent. This is a command in the Greek of the New Testament. Paul says, I command the good workman to be diligent. What's the hardest thing you have ever done in your life? I mean, it took the most effort of anything you've ever had to do. Maybe it was some course in school. Maybe it was Latin. And man, you had to wrestle with that. Those of you who are 50 and above, you remember they used to teach Latin. For you younger ones, they used to teach Latin. Uh, It was a dead language. And we used to say it killed the Romans and it's killing us too. Maybe it was some other foreign language. Hebrew is not any easier than Latin. Maybe it was chemistry. All those equations and, and everything. Maybe it was some math course. That you had to take. But man, you had to work and work and work. You had to give it everything you had. Maybe it was some physical activity. Maybe it was basic training that some of you guys went through. And man, it was the toughest thing you've ever done. Maybe it was some sport that you played. Or some skill that you had to learn, like playing a musical instrument or something. But think back, what would you say was the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life and it took the most effort that you had to put forward in order to accomplish it? Something come to mind? Well, the amount of effort that you had to put in to accomplishing that thing is the amount of effort you should put in 
to your study of God's Word. That's what this word diligent means. It means to make every effort. In fact, Paul uses this same word two other times in this same letter. Over in chapter 4, he uses it in verse 9. And notice how it's translated there. Make every effort to come to me soon. What does that sound like to you, Paul is saying? Make every effort. If there is any way possible. I mean, don't spare any pains to come to me soon. Make every effort. And again, in verse 21 of the same chapter. Make every effort to come before winter. This word means to give it everything you have. To extend the greatest effort possible. And God commands us to give our best effort, our hardest, most ardent effort, to studying and rightly handling the word of truth. So if you're going to be an approved workman... You must first be diligent. You must give your best effort. How hard it was to study that chemistry or that math course or that foreign language or that basic training, that's something that's going to just vanish someday. But the Word of God is eternal. What is more worthy of our efforts than the Word of God? So first of all, the approved workman is diligent. Secondly, the approved workman correctly handles the word of truth. Again, in verse 15, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now what does it mean to accurately handle the word of truth? Well, the literal Greek word is to cut it straight. You say, cut it straight. (laughs) What does that have to do with the Word of God? Well, the prefix to this Greek word is ortho, which means straight. An orthodontist is a man who straightens teeth. Orthopedist is a man who straightens bones. And so the word is to cut it straight. It was used of a plowman plowing a straight furrow. It was used of cutting a board and cutting the end square or straight. For those of you that may not be that up on building, there is an instrument called a square. And when you're cutting a board, you can use this square to make sure your line is straight across the board so that when you cut the board, you cut it straight. So that when you put the boards together, they fit neatly And tightly and not look all jagged. An approved workman cuts it straight. Paul was a tent maker. Now ladies, you can relate to this. It means to sew a seam straight. Now, what kind of hem would it be on a dress if you hired somebody to make a dress for you and you got the dress and you put it on and the hem was crooked? That would be an unapproved seamstress, wouldn't it? 
Paul is talking about cutting fabric to make a tent or to make a dress, and you cut it straight so the seam will be straight. So the word means also to cut a path through the woods in order that those who follow can go straight through to the destination. Now, some of you may know what is on the screen. Rick Parker knows what it is. That's the entrance to Eisenhower Tunnel, 60 miles west of Denver, Colorado. A couple of weeks ago, Rick Parker and I drove through this tunnel. This tunnel is over one and a half miles long, cut straight through a mountain. It is the highest tunnel in the world at 11,500 feet. It took them over five years just to cut through one side of it. Now, I want to show you a picture on the inside of this tunnel. See Rick in the rearview mirror? No, not really. But I want you to notice how straight, how straight it is inside that tunnel. Now, when those workmen were cutting through that mountain, that over mile and a half tunnel, you think they zigzagged? They cut it straight. That's what this word means, to cut it straight. If they had not cut it straight, they would have been unapproved workmen. To be an approved workman, they had to cut it straight. And when it comes to cutting straight the Word of God, it means that we accurately interpret God's Word. That we take the time and effort necessary to learn proper means of interpretation and we accurately interpret the Word. And secondly, that we are plain and understandable in our exposition. Just as a workman cuts a path so that those who come after him can follow through that path easily, the workman of the Word of God, the approved workman, studies the Word, rightly interprets the Word, and then presents it in a way that it can be understood. A good workman scrupulously and carefully brings forth the truth of the passage in a way either not to turn to the left or turn to the right in speculation or falsehood. An approved workman says what God says, says it plainly, says it boldly, and says no more. So an approved workman is diligent. An approved workman rightly handles the word of truth, which means he cuts it straight. He handles it properly. Third characteristic. The approved workman is not ashamed. Again, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. When the approved workman handles God's Word in the way we've just mentioned, he is approved by God. You see that verb, approved? I call that, you will remember, the consumer report word. Because what that word means is to put to the test in order to show if it is approved or not, if it meets the quality. You're familiar with the Consumer Report magazine. Uh, Those of you who are uh, good stewards make a habit of checking that magazine out before you make a purchase because they make it their business, don't take any advertisement because 
they do not want to be prejudiced by anything or take any uh, idea of anything improper. And so they take appliances, they take different products, and they put them to a rigorous test. Now, what's the purpose of that test? To show the quality of that product. Now, you see up on the right, the DVD. They'll take this DVD player and they will uh, subject it to many tests. They'll put a DVD in and inject it and put it in that, in that, in that many times to see how many times before the thing breaks. They'll shake it. See how it does under shaking. They'll probably even drop it and see how it does. They put it to all these tests for the sole purpose of determining its quality. Is it approved or not? Will it earn the Consumer Reports Best Buy mark in the catalog? This is what this word means in the Greek exactly. It means to put someone or something to the test for the purpose of showing if it meets the standard, if it is approved. And what Paul is saying is that God is going to put all of us to the test when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we are either going to be approved as workmen because we have met the test and we have passed the test, or we will fail the test, be unapproved and ashamed. Therefore, he says, make every effort to handle God's Word accurately. So when you stand before God, having been tested and approved, you will have no reason to be ashamed. What does this say about scanty sermon preparation? There are some preachers that I've been told that wait till Saturday night to prepare their sermons on Sunday. You may have heard some of these guys, and you probably figured, hey, he must have either prepared that last night or this morning sometime. Maybe he was watching one of the TV evangelists this morning and got his sermon together. We're not told that God is going to test the pastor according to his hospital visitation, or according to his counseling schedule, or according to his committee meetings. But God is going to test the pastor according to how he's handled the Word of God. That is why I spend so much time in the Word of God. That I may, by the grace of God, be an approved workman who does not need to be ashamed. What does that say about you as Sunday school teachers? Do you wait till Sunday morning? To get your Sunday school lesson ready? Are you diligently giving your best effort to prepare that lesson for your class? That's why the Scripture says, Let not many of you be teachers. Because there is a more strict requirement and more strict judgment on those who teach the Word. So the approved workman is diligent. He correctly handles the Word of God. The approved workman is not ashamed. And fourthly, he avoids worldly chatter. Verse 16. But avoid, and this again is a command, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. The ancients had a scene. They said... Now, when a person talked excessively, 
It was a sign of a malady in their soul. Either the quality or quantity of their conversation revealed the malady in their soul. I think they were on to something, don't you? We dress it up a little more psychologically, but, you know, somebody that talks excessively or talks uh, trash, there's something going on in their soul. There's a problem there. There's a malady in their soul. And he says the approved workman doesn't get involved in worldly, empty chatter. Things that just don't matter. Senseless things. Needless things. But the approved workman watches his words and he deals with that which matters. Now let's look at the unapproved workman. First, the unapproved workman has gone astray from the truth. Verse 18. Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, they've upset the faith of some. Now remember, the key difference between the good and the bad workman is how they handle God's Word. The good workman cuts it straight. He says what God says, he says it plainly, he says it boldly, he says no more. The bad workman has missed the point. He's missed the truth of God's Word. He's gone astray. Now, our imagery has changed from that of cutting a highway to the image of an archer. This word for gone astray, the root word is target. It is the idea of missing the bullseye. The image that Paul is giving is that the truth of God's Word is the bullseye. And when the Teacher or the disciple maker or the one who's handling God's Word does not correctly get to the truth of the Word. He's missed the bullseye. He's gone astray. And hence, the unapproved workman does not rightly divide and understand the Word of God. He gets off into side issues. He misinterprets the Word of God. And his arrow has gone astray. Now, some unapproved workmen miss by hitting in the blue. Some miss by hitting in the white. Some don't even hit the target. Way off. But the approved workman, because he gives it his best effort, hits the bullseye in understanding the truth of the passage that he is studying. The unapproved workman, instead of staying with God's truth, he strays off into side issues, unimportant matters. The Pharisees did this. They got all hung up on the, on the minor things and missed the major things. You know, they were all hung up that you couldn't work on the Sabbath, meant you couldn't carry a sewing pen in your coat on the Sabbath because that was an instrument of work. You couldn't walk over a half a mile from your home on the Sabbath. That was work. And so if they had to go somewhere that was a mile on the Sabbath, they would, on the day before, take their lunch, take it a half mile away, and then they could say, well, this is my dwelling where my food is. And then they could go a half a mile to get the dwelling, food, and then another half mile. So they had ways to get around it. That's majoring in the minors. Hymenius and Philetus are examples of bad workmen that Paul mentions in verse 17. 
And they have gone astray from the truth. They have missed the target because they were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. And they were upsetting the faith of some. Now, what was so upsetting about teaching the resurrection had already taken place? Well, let's think about that for a moment. If the resurrection has already taken place, then it must not be a physical resurrection. Because you haven't seen any resurrected people walking around, have you? So that means it must be a spiritual resurrection only. You know, kind of like what Paul says in Romans 6, if we die with Christ, we've been raised with Him. Well, it must just be a spiritual thing. All right. Well, if it's only a spiritual resurrection, no physical resurrection, that means Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. Because the Bible says He's the first fruits of our resurrection. So, He wasn't raised from the dead. Well, if He wasn't raised from the dead, then how do we know He was really God? How do we know He really defeated death? How do we know that His sin was really payment, uh, his, his death was really payment for our sin? If there is no physical resurrection, then there is no future heaven, no physical world, no physical place called heaven. Then there's no physical place called hell. And if there's no heaven, there's no hell. It doesn't matter how I live. And so you can see that they had shipwrecked the faith of some. To overturn is the same word that's used of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. And they've upset the faith of some because they've been teaching that there's no that the resurrection's already taken place. And so Paul says they've gone astray. They've messed people up. And people who only had a fire insurance policy, the only reason they believed was because they didn't want to go to hell. And when they found out there wasn't any hell, they said, hey, let's forget this. Let's just go live the way we want to live. They wrangle about trifling matters in verse 14. Not to wrangle about words, which is useless. And leads to the ruin of the heroes. These false teachers were doing this very thing and causing catastrophe to those who heard. Arguing about things that don't really matter. Like the color of the carpet, the paint color of the walls, the color of the drapes, the flowers. I mean, I have heard people argue about stuff in church you would not believe. And when this verbal fighting goes on, it just causes the destruction of those in the church and those who are outside the church that hear it going on. And they think if that's what Christians are all about. Churches have split over the color of the carpet. And Satan has had a heyday. Most things are not worth arguing about. Let me repeat that. Most things are not worth arguing about. Husbands, wives, hear that. If... Nothing useful is accomplished when we argue about things that are not essential. People just get upset. If it's not germane to the biblical truth or principles of God's Word, then we probably shouldn't be arguing about it. So first, the unapproved workman, what does he do? He's gone astray from the truth. Secondly, he engages in worldly and empty Chatter. Worldly means profane, common. The root word in the Greek is a threshold. Something you step on. Now, people don't put their food on the threshold. You know, a threshold is not a clean place because everybody steps on it and walks over it. And, and you know what all you have on your shoes. 
And so to walk over something is to say, you know, that's not that important. You don't walk on things that are important to you. You know, if you buy a rug, and this is amazing to me that women can do this, but you buy a rug and you think you would have walked on a rug, wouldn't you? Don't get on that rug! <laughs> I didn't buy that rug to be walked on. That rug's for decoration. You know, it goes with the room. It pulls everything together, right? You don't walk on things that are important to you, even if you would, a man would think, hey, it's on the floor, it ought to be walked on, right? Don't sit in that chair. <laughs> You'll get it dirty. All right, so it's not important. It's profane. It's opposed to that which is holy and sacred. Paul says they talk about things that aren't really important. It's empty, useless, futile, produces nothing. That's what the bad worker does. He's teaching about things that are useless and profane and unspiritual. Not even in the Word of God. History is filled with examples of teachers in the church who have fallen into this malady. There was a time in church history, one of the biggest arguments going was how many angels could fit on the head of a needle. They didn't have much to do, did they? The date of Jesus' return. Or who is the Antichrist? There have been those who spent hours, weeks, months trying to find out who the Antichrist was and then teach what they thought was right. What happened to the lost ten lost tribes of Israel? What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? There was a book that came out several years ago called Ancient Astronauts. And the whole premise of the book was that ancient astronauts came down and delivered the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a beaming station that beamed back up to where they were from. And that's why when Uzzah touched it, it was radioactive and it killed him. That the wheels of Ezekiel, the wheel within a wheel, was a spacecraft. A UFO. Now this book came out. It was picked up by more than a few people who wanted to explain away the supernatural, explain away God, teaching, hey, ancient astronauts. This led to a disrespect for God and ungodliness. The Jehovah Witnesses taught that Jesus was going to be coming back, and I think it was in the 1940s. Well, obviously He didn't come back, at least not physically. So they said, well, it was a spiritual return. Well, once a teacher teaches these things, and they don't come true, then what does that do in the sight of his pupils to the Word of God? They think, well, maybe God's Word's not true, because, you know, He said it said this, and He showed us where it said that, and it didn't happen, so maybe God's Word's not really what we think it is. It causes further ungodliness. Paul says it spreads like gangrene. And that word gangrene in the root word means to gnaw. It means to eat. We actually get our English word gangrene from the Greek word. And so these people latch on to these profane issues and it continues to spread. It continues to grow. And it leads to further ungodliness. And then Paul gives the salvation of the approved workman is secure. 
lest you think because there are these false teachers and they have led some astray that your faith is going to fall apart or that the church is going to fall apart. Paul says, not so. He says, even though some have defected from the faith, the church of God has not been affected. Like John said, they went out from us because they were not a part of us. If they had been a part of us, they would not have gone out. Paul says the foundation is firm. And here he has moved the word picture to a building. And he's taking that practice that was popular in Paul's day and has even lasted until today. Where many times on a cornerstone of a building, there will be an inscription written on that cornerstone to either give the purpose of the building or talk about who built it or give some information when it was built. In my home church where I grew up, there is a white cornerstone on a red brick church that has written on it some inscriptions. One is the date that the building was erected. This is the picture that Paul gives. He says the church of Jesus Christ is like a building. And he says on a cornerstone of that building are two inscriptions. On one side of the stone is the inscription that the Lord knows those who are His. Here he's talking about the eternal security that the approved workman can have that God knows who are His. God knows. Now, we don't know who are His, but He knows. And He won't forget. Jesus said, all those the Father has given me will come to me. Remember Him saying that? And He went on to say, and those who come to me, I lose none. He's not going to lose you. He said, I'll raise them up on the last day. And so as a Christian, you can have the eternal security of knowing that God knows you. But then as you walk around the corner of the building and look at the other side of the cornerstone, you see a second inscription. And that second inscription reads, Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, here we have man's responsibility. The first part of the stone, well, first side said God's sovereignty. He knows those who are His, and He's going to keep them. And the other side says, now wait, if you belong to Him, then it should show in your life. You should live a life that abstains from wickedness and ungodliness. You should be able to look at a person's life and see if they belong to God. Yes, in the secret counsels of God, He knows those who are His. And by the way you live, people should know if you are His or not. And the way you should live is to abstain from wickedness. The workman's life gives evidence of the quality of his life. This brings us back to the question we began with. Which workman will you be? Will you be the unapproved workman who will experience great shame when you stand before Jesus? Because you have not diligently studied God's Word, you have not accurately handled His truth, 
You've spent your energy in worldly and empty, chattered things that really don't matter? Or will you be that approved workman who is unashamed? And when you stand before Christ, you can hold your head up because you have given the effort. You have worked hard at rightly understanding and interpreting the Word of God. You have correctly handled God's Word. You've avoided the side issues. And you've focused on the main truth of God's Word. Approved or unapproved? Ashamed or unashamed? Which will it be for you? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, I pray Your Spirit would reveal to each of us how we are handling Your Word. All the way from me down to that disciple-maker of one person. Are we rightly handling, correctly, diligently studying Your Word? Convict us if we're not. May we call upon You for that grace. To be the approved workman, unashamed. In Jesus' name, Amen. We want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Word of God as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. It's not too late to rightly handle the Word of God, to become that approved workman. It will take effort. But there is the grace of God. But before you can be the approved workman, you must be a saved workman. You must be a Christian. And the way you become a Christian is surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in simple faith that He is the Lord and Savior and surrender of your will to His will. To recognize you cannot save yourself, that you're separated from God because of your personal sins, But Jesus has taken your place on the cross. He offers you eternal life if you'll come by faith and receive it.